Today's podcast is brought to you by Horizons Resolve Adaptive Asset Allocation ETF, which trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol HRAA and is sub-advised by Resolve Asset Management. HRAA is an alternative fund whose investment objective is to seek long-term capital appreciation by investing directly or indirectly in major global asset classes, including, but not limited to, equity indices, fixed income indices, interest rates, commodities, and currencies. HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF. Hello and welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo of Resolve Asset Management Global. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everything in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Well, gentlemen, happy Friday. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm very well. Yeah, it's, it's good to meet Eric for the first time. It's good to have Tyrone back on riffs. Good to see Mr. Butler. I, is, is that a pajama shirt you're wearing? I'm, I'm not sure what that is. Oh, crushing glow <laughs> with my new stylish shirt. <laughs> oh, I want to start off, start off with a little spice. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so just for everybody, before we start, this is none of this is investment advice. This is just four dudes talking on YouTube. <laughs> you should get if you need investment advice you should get it from qualified professionals <laughs> not these four scoundrels as usual <laughs> and with that said that opens up the conversation well so oh, yes. yes and and if you could uh, hit the like button and do all the fun stuff that you know you're supposed to do when you're watching these things that everyone brings to you in the ether anyway enough said Tyrone well said Dude, what have you been up to? Well, I moved since the last time we spoke, so I am in beautiful San Diego with Eric now. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a transplant, moved from New Jersey to San Diego in November, um, and we launched on ramp. Um, a lot mm-hmm. has happened, so we'll, we'll get into that a little later. But yeah, a ton has happened. I have three uh, great nephews now. So I think before, I, I think that my niece was actually pregnant with the first. So three beautiful boys that I adore. So yeah, a lot happening for sure. How did you get three crammed in there? What was there some twins, triplets? I, what, like, no, what? I, she had, it's funny. She has a three-year-old, a two-year-old and an eight-month-old. So I, I was like, what kind of, 
what kind of death sentence is that? But yeah, God, yeah. She's what do they call that? Irish, Irish twins when they're within yeah. a year. Yeah. Close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Something like that. Oh, they're, they're, they're the love of my life. I love them to death. So um, That's awesome. Yeah, all is well. Are they there in and San Diego with you? No, everyone's back in everyone's back in Jersey. Um, okay. I don't know. We we all got the gene to hate to fly. So um, it's it's uh, my dad is okay, and then my my niece is all right. But my mom and my sister just they won't do it. They won't do it. Interesting. So I'll okay. get them out eventually. I just keep snapping pictures of the palm trees. They'll get here eventually. It works. Endorse. <laughs> I endorse that. It works. Absolutely. So how did how did you and uh, that skullduggerous scoundrel Eric get together? I mean, I I, I'll let him tell that story. All right, all right. Let's get let's get some Eric track laid down here. Let's go. It's actually um, uh, the the famous podcast, and I apologize for all the background noise. I happened to be in a in a bar in um, in the middle of Colorado. It was the the only place I could find that got Wi Fi good enough. And, uh, That's actually in the okay. spirit of this podcast. So I, so I figured, I figured of all yeah. the podcasts, I might be able to get away with it right here. Totally. So, um, so yeah, I, I heard the the famous podcast of Tyrone given um, his kind of life story and and really where he broke down. And it was actually Corey Hofstein, a, a mutual friend of all of ours, who who first kind of said, "You got to listen to this podcast; it's amazing." And so I reached out to Tyrone and just you know just shared kind of like, "Wow, that was amazing! I'd love to kind of meet you." And and the next thing you know. Um, we fast friends and Twitter friends, if, if you will. We we started talking and struck up a bond, and and at the time too, we were also looking to to think about ways to get out of the ETF business, but also to explore ways to enable financial advisors to gain access to cryptocurrencies. And I always thought, you know, if I'm ever going to start another company, it's not going to be alone. And, and I I know what I'm good at, know what I'm not good at. I'm not good at leadership, and I'm not good at recruiting and selling and promoting and and, and really kind of like putting myself out there, but I could work with people and I could work with smart people. And I always thought, you know, if, if I could convince Tyrone that I could work for him, then that would be an absolute 100% win as opposed to if I could convince Tyrone to work for me. And that's, um, you know, three, three years later, finally, I made it happen. And, uh, and, the, and the, almost gosh, the last 12 months has been a literal whirlwind. It's, it's, it's been amazing. So, Sounds like an amazing whirlwind. So let tell tell us everything then. Tell us wh- how how give us the journey from uh, from so, so you've met um, the idea of on ramp and you know where that how it culminated and all that fun stuff. G- give us the scoop. I think you're 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 muted, muted Tyrone. Tyrone. Um, there's a lot of nuance for sure, and 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 a pretty fascinating story. We always talk about writing the book, but so I had been traveling to San Diego a lot again from, you know, my, my godson is here. One of my best friends is here. And I had dropped by the reality shares offices at the time, even did a few uh, interviews with Eric's team at the time, just about working with young clients who own crypto. Cause I was kind of out there really early doing that. And, you know, we just, it was one of those things where we just, you know, I, I stopped by. We were fellow crypto hippies. It was like, oh, let's just kick it, right? I get there. Howard Lindzen is there. It was a whole family affair. I go by the offices twice. And, and again, just really been a fan of what they were doing. I know he was smart. Dave Martin, Ken, all of the folks over there I love. And they sent me a, a package after I'd left. 
with pens and books and all that other stuff. And anybody who knows anything about me knows I tell my story and how much I love my parents. And my dad, within the last, I don't know, five to 10 years or so, really learned to read and write well. So he loves pens, right? And he is to this day in love with this reality shares pen. Like you can't, is it, he, he has his little pens on his side there and he writes in his little pad, but he loves that pen. And I remember doing a walk and talk about it on Twitter. And I was talking about, we take for granted how we send out those gifts to people, right? Like, oh, I send them a hat, send them a shirt. But you really don't understand the power of that when it really connects with someone who just experienced a new side of life that they didn't really have before. So I looked at my dad's reaction to that. And I remember telling Eric, I'm like, man, that's special. I sent the team, I sent him a note. I was like, please do not underestimate what it means for you to just send my dad a little simple pen. And my parents are the most meek, simple, want nothing people on earth, right? Um, But at that moment, I was like, all right, there was something there. We had stayed in contact and we both got SIM swapped around the same time, right? Like we got attacked and, and it was just that whole thing had happened. And we actually had like separated Right. We just didn't talk for a while. And I was worried about him, but I knew he was kind of going through some of the same things. Didn't know how deep it was till we reconnected. And I remember sending him a message and I didn't really get a response. But I found out later why he had a ton of stuff going on. The FBI was at his place. The FBI was on the phone with me. It was a serious thing with a bunch of us that were really out there on Twitter and this, this sim attack with crypto and everything else. Be careful out there, folks. And I get a call. Right. He gives me a call. He's like, hey, I want to chat. And he gives me a call. And he's like, yeah, I have this idea. You remember on ramp, the thing we were talking to you about. Man, it sounds awesome. And I, again, been in the crypto space. He was doing the startup thing. And I'm like, I'd love to help. Right. And it was kind of like it was like the first conversation. Was like, yeah, I'd love to help. So and I could tell that he was kind of like, oh, I don't really think that's there's more to it. So we spoke again, you know, and he's like, well, you know, we should add you to the board of reality shares and do that whole thing. We did that. And then finally, he was like, no, he's like, I. I want you to be the CEO. Like, I actually want you to run the company. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, are you crazy? <laughs> like, I'm like, my life is pretty good right now. Like, I'm kind of working myself into a really good spot right now. I don't know if I want to give this up. And we had a really good conversation on the last call. And again, I respect him beyond measure, right? And, and anyone that knows Eric knows that he's a sweetheart. I'll do anything for him. And I said, well, look, if we do this, you got to trust me. Here's what we need to do. I know you're a product genius, but we got to find a way to get this into advisors workflow. Right. And he kind of was like, "Okay, right. Like, you know, and he kind of agreed. And at that moment, it was kind of like, all right, you know, on ramp as it stands now was co-founded. It was like, we're going to go after the RA space and just literally break down the doors and get them access to crypto. And that was really it. And I and I said yes. And then I went for a long walk and I'm like, what the hell did I just say yes to? (laughs) <laughs> right. Because it wasn't really we didn't have much of anything except a really cool idea. And I had a conversation with Pomp. Me and Pomp were just catching up. And he was like, you know, what are you up to? And I told him Anthony Pompliano. And I told him and he was like, if you're going to solve that, I'm in. And it was late. It was like nine o'clock. And I'm still on the East Coast at the time. I text Eric. I'm like, well, we got Pomp. <laughs> so we got to do something. So that was kind of it. And that, and that was August. That was in August. So we're not even a year old yet. And all of this has happened since then. It's been nothing short of astounding. It really is amazing how that the the Overton window has passed over the crypto space from when you and I and Sean and Richard chatted 
yep. which was probably right in that period. I think it was a year ago, yep. sort of August, July. So mm-hmm. you were right in the midst of that. Probably couldn't say a word about it. Yeah. But how it was still sort of fringy then. Like you mm-hmm. were you were tip of the spear kind of guy still after three years of beating that drum. Like it was still a, you know, it was a different thing. And then all of a sudden, fast forward six months and we've got pretty interesting adoption. Um, Adam and I were on a panel here uh, talking about the crypto space as an actual asset class Mm -hmm. and how that integrates into businesses. And one of the topics that came up was advisors talking about, hey, a year ago, six months ago, I brought it up. It was career risk. I feel today if I don't bring it up, it's career risk. And so um, it's been just so fast and furious, the change. Uh, you guys, obviously, you've got this idea. You're bringing it to fruition. Where, where are we today from last August? Yeah, I'll let Eric take that because I think it's what was fascinating to me. I, I call him part of the ETF mafia, right? There's an ETF mafia. If you look at a lot of those guys, they're involved in crypto. Um, so I'll let him answer that. But I think a lot of a lot of the folks that were in ETFs early and so that see the value here. So I'll, I'll kind of let him answer that. Yeah, and it's kind of it's funny too. It's um, I, I go both ways on this. the The ETF is such a beautiful invention because it's enabled access for a huge audience to get exposed to whether it be an index or whether it be a more intelligent way to invest or cheaper, whether it be like gold or just other asset classes. And so, but, but we used to also joke that, you know, the ETF industry has jumped the shark when you see an IBM ETF or just a single stock ETF on something that's completely liquid and, and just ridiculously, like you don't really need an ETF for that. And in 2016 or so, when I first kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole and, and I had gone to school for computer science. So I was always kind of tech forward on these newer innovative things. It, to me, it just seemed like, I don't think we need an ETF for that. I think there's a way that we can just open the gates because this beautiful ecosystem of exchanges and custody and, and everything has been already created. And here I was sending fax machine, you know, faxes to bank of New York for our, administrator on our ETF business and getting spreadsheets emailed back and forth. And I was thinking there's got to be a better way. And here crypto was kind of evolving this new technology that could enable everything. And so putting it back in an ETF wrapper and bringing it into the traditional S class ecosystem was, I didn't think it was evil or awful. I just thought, well, that's a lot of overkill for, I mean, it's the IBM ETF example, right? You don't need that. You just need to open those gates and enable advisors to go access that asset. So not just advisors, but clients. And yet the advisors had never ventured out, right? That, that would be like selling away if you're with a broker dealer or, or just exposing your client to something odd and esoteric. And, and, you know, like you just don't do that, like that career risk. And I remember even in the early days of saying, yeah, I'm kind of interested. When I'd sit under my breath, because I didn't know what people were going to say about me, but it, it really is. There's just a lot more to it. And now as we're seeing like DeFi and all of those things kind of populating and it's happening away and, and, and we don't want it to happen away. Like people are leaving their financial advisor to get advice from no one, from their neighbor, because their advisor just says, I don't know. You know, I can't yeah. advise on it. And that's in a, that's in a frontier shame, asset right? class, right? In, a, yeah. in an asset yeah. class where advice would be probably uh, improportionately valuable compared to their holdings in the S&P 500, as an example. 
So true. Yeah, I mean, like, whether I pay my advisor to pick BOO or, or be, you know, versus Bitcoin, you know, and, and how to invest in it and how to, to allocate to it and how to avoid the SIM swap attack and, uh, like, just all of those things or, or even just things to watch out for that maybe you shouldn't have 100% of your assets invested in Dogecoin just because Elon Musk tweeted about it. You know, that's that's probably good advice. And yet, unfortunately, the client's got to go do it alone. And then the client's sheepishly embarrassed to tell their advisor, hey, by the way, I do have a lot of my assets invested over here. And and it just is wrong. So we just wanted to to open that on them, but let people into the slow lane, not make them get into the fast lane all by themselves on foot of, of that you know interstate or that super highway. But let them get into that slow lane with the learner's permit, with the driver's ed you know, instructor right next to them. And that's that idea behind Omnip is just enabling people to taste it. You know, they, you don't have to go all in. You can just have a piece of this asset class and then just, just explore. And, and that's kind of this idea. And, and I think, you know, to bless Tyrone, he's just such an inspiration all the way around. But to have done that three years ago, you know, with clients and to said, to just say, screw it. I'm taking off my financial advisor hat at Merrill Lynch and I'm going all in on this asset class is, is um, you know, it's incredibly innovative. And, and again, you know, just one of the reasons why we, we jump so well together is because of, um, we both see that opportunity. So, so, I mean, obviously as you're putting the pieces together on this, there must have been a vision for how you expected RIAs to want to incorporate crypto assets into their traditional advisory businesses. Like how, how do you, how did you, and how do you see the use case for crypto assets in portfolios? And then how did that inform how you designed the on-ramp product? So I, I think there's a, there's a couple of ways to look at it, right? We, we look at on-ramp doing three things, which we're calling EAT, education, access, and tools. If I knew anything about my colleagues and peers, they were way behind the curve. So we needed to educate them first. What is a crypto asset versus a cryptocurrency? Those are two different things. What is a coin versus a token? What is the big B blockchain versus the little B blockchain? Right. Ether is the coin. Ethereum is the blockchain. Right. All of these different things. They were so far behind, not even really knowing what the SEC has given in terms of guidance. Right. All of the updates. There's so much stuff. And I kept telling Eric, I'm like, there's so much we can do to educate them before we even get into whether it's digital gold or not or whether it's a store of value, everything that you see on Twitter. We, there's so much we can do before we even get there. Uh, E&O insurance. Can you find a good E&O insurance provider? Have you updated your ADV, right? A compliance guy. Check. There's so many different. That's what RIAs care about. Advisors don't want to get sued or fired, but they want to get paid, right? Now, how do you get us paid? Access, right? Which is the second one, right? Direct access to buy and the held away account aggregation showing you all of the crypto that your clients hold away from you. I keep telling people this. There's a reason why Fidelity won't open their mouth now without telling you there's $10 trillion held away. You know why? Because they know. So because they know, they're going to tell you. And they're, fi- they're finding out feverishly how to get paid on that. 
Super important. Also, that provides holistic advice. The last thing is tools, right? Eric is really good at this. We have a section in OAMP Academy tools, but what do all advisors do? They take data, they get information, and they give their clients the best advice that they can give. So if I can't say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you see this internet money here? We're going to rotate out of this internet money and go into this other internet money. Doesn't work, right? I need a construct. Mm. Oh, it tastes like mayonnaise. Okay, digital gold, right? It's like gold, Mr. and Mrs. Client, kind of the same thing. So you have a 3% allocation of gold. We're going to we do a sleeve of Bitcoin, but then say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, before we do that, I know your risk tolerance is a four is a couple. Mr. Client, you're a six. Miss Client, you're a three. Bitcoin is a 22. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to model and show you the last one, three, five years of performance if we had allocated to Bitcoin. But we're also going to show you the next five years as we pull out your financial plan, the core four, risk tolerance, investor policy statement, financial plan, estate plan, your core four. You're going to pull that out and tell the client, look, if we do this, OnRamp is allowing me to model 5% for you inside of my existing workflow, my Orion, my Tamarack, my InvestNet, whatever it is that I'm using to be able to give best advice to the client. I've been talking for how long now? I haven't even mentioned what Bitcoin is or where it goes in the portfolio. See what I'm saying? That's what RIAs want. So whatever an advisor thinks it is, I'll be honest, I don't think it's digital gold. Some folks do. I don't. I think it's a long dated call option on a store value. It will be one day, but I'm also more concerned with the actual blockchain technology, Bitcoin blockchain, right? Blockchain, by the way, is a marketing term created right around circa 2014, the Bitcoin blockchain and technology is incredibly powerful to me. You can't put a number on that. So I think as you start to create education and resources, right, education, empowerment, these things are really important for financial advisors to then say, OK, well, at least I'm conversing. I can have the conversation. I'm not going to say anything which way, but I'm just going to be conversing. Right. Listen, learn, lead. Thinking threes, advisors, listen, learn, lead. Those things are really important. So we built it with that in mind. Educate, access, and tools to be a, a data feed almost, connecting the two worlds together so that we want you to be an advisor. We want to make you the hero. Cheryl Penny told me that, right, very early. When he said, he congratulated me on the seat. He said, Tyrone, make him smart. Make advisors the hero, <laughs> right? Don't try and do anything crazy. So that's what it was. It was so many... It was so many of these meetings that I was going to have. And I finally told Eric, I'm like, it's the education, man. Nobody else is doing it. There's no sell side research for advisors. There's nothing where they can go. They should come to us. And so we built it. And so how, how, what are you seeing the adoption rate? Like as you're seeing um, the advisors come in and um, get sort of set up, are you seeing, I'm sure you're seeing sort of a, a, a spectrum of adoption from, you know, just a little around the edges. Are you seeing any sort of heavy users that are a little bit more inclined to tilt their book a lot more towards um, younger clients, maybe the, the whole asset class of digital assets and, and putting more in? What's the, what's the spectrum? It's interesting. I mean, we had a $45 billion public bank, right, uh, start to get access to the platform today. We've had conversations with pa- Pershing and Bank of New York Mellon. Our wait list, which was Somewhere around 220 billion of AUM of firms that were looking to onboard on ramp has grown 56 percent since we launched. 400 something plus firms now approaching 300 billion in AUM. 
Um, we've had conversations with Manetta, Hightower, Carson, Dynasty. Some of these folks are actually using the platform, Ritholtz. Um, so it's all across the spectrum. What you're seeing is a couple of things. One, the education, as I mentioned, folks aren't really geared up to trade right away, but the held away and the education is huge. Those that are able to be more nimble, right? Because as, as, in, as far as the RA space goes, once you get over 100 million, you're SEC registered. It's a kind of different ball game at that point. Those that are right around there, a little less, can kind of dive in the deep end right away. They ain't really got to feel the water out. So we're, we're starting to see that. But I'm sure from Eric's perspective as well, I mean, all of the firms that he had ga- engaged with previously, like massive firms have kind of circled back and either wanted to invest in OnRamp or have sent us clients, right? So Eric, I don't know if anything you want to add with that, but it's, it's, it's all shapes and sizes. But we haven't had any conversation where it was like, well, we're not really seeing the demands. Yeah, it's really incredible. Like I, I, I knew education would be a big part of this. And, and so we had just assumed, okay, well, let's offer the education like the OnRamp Academy as part of the platform. So when you get access to the OnRamp platform, you get access to onboard client accounts at Gemini or Prime Trust or Coinbase. You get access to held away client accounts so you can see you can ask the client to log in with their their ledger wallet or their nano or whatever, and you can see their assets. So all of those things I, I thought were great. And then we'd offer this little on-ramp academy. And, and I say little, like um, just as a, as a freebie, like uh, you can have this as well in order to educate and create primers for your clients or create proposals and send them out to your clients for a hypothetical you know, back test if you added 2% to a 64 kind of thing. And then, and then all these firms, like big, big firms, started saying, we want OnRamp Academy as a standalone product. We want access to what you guys are building in the OnRamp Academy and everything there because we just want to educate our advisor workforce and, and, and educate compliance officers and educate. And, and so now OnRamp Academy has become this entire product. Like it's basically like this entire university of, of uh, products and assets and and by assets, I mean everything from the, the Morningstar style fat card of, you know, where does this fit into your, your style box allocation? How volatile is this asset? What's the correlation to Bitcoin itself? You know, like all of those things, we wanted to make them just right down the middle of the plate from what an advisor is used to seeing. Just, you know, just print it, facts, you know, enter your client's name, send it off. Here's, here's Bitcoin as an asset class. Here's Ethereum as, as, a, as a blockchain. Here's ETH as a as an asset and why it's valued, you know, the way it is. What's the difference between market cap today versus market cap 20 years from now? What's the inflation rate of this asset? All of those things. So advisors can start to get well-versed in order to, to speak to the asset class. And then it comes the trading. But then there's also, and, and I know there's a long answer to a short question, but then there's also the whole, there, there are new advisors that are coming out of the woodwork that say, I've never been a before, but I know crypto and I know this asset class, and I can build model portfolios and I can build tools that advisors can use. Can I help advisors access this marketplace with kind of the professional guidance? And so we're seeing almost like this camp start to be built on the platform 
of crypto aspects, and the, the relationship we have with Wisdom Tree, and all, all of those different areas. It's literally like a whole new ecosystem being built up outside of, of kind of your traditional uh, yeah. stock bond type, type aspect. I don't, I don't think people appreciate, like there's sort of whatever, TradFi, traditional finance, and then there's you know the 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 um, the, the blockchain or the, the digital assets and finance, and people think of it only going sort of one way from traditional finance to mm-hmm. digital finance. But actually, there's a whole crypto universe out there where flows coming the other way is actually informing on the other side. So that's so interesting to hear that actually you're seeing that manifest in ways that that's. Um, Sort of emergent, maybe unexpected by by most, but crypto land is pretty big. It's got a lot of assets in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's got, yeah. I mean, it so it's got some smart people. Yeah, trillions, right? Like trillion. But that's not a. Mm. I mean, that's kind of we've arrived. You know, when you get to T yeah. with a trillion, you know, that's that's a big number and and multiples of that. And even just we we also run a, a hedge fund under the Blockforce Capital. It's kind of like our. The company's money, the, the firm's money, the employee's money, and then outsiders invest in this. And it gives us a, an opportunity to really eat our own cooking and, and kind of explore the asset class. We're we're earning some somewhere between five and eleven percent on dollar deposits. That that's not you know, that's not trivial. That's like we're talking about trillions of dollars sitting in money markets earning 0.07% or, or less. And and we're earning and, and there's counterparty risk to be sure. But it's not like the kind of counterparty risk that should be five to ten percent, you know, compensation. There is a meaningful compensation, and it's just because it's really hard to get assets into that funnel and out on the other side. So if you can get them, you know, onto that on ramp or that platform, you can then enable a lot of different opportunities for individual investors and institutions alike. And it's just a whole new, new world that uh, that right now is is going through, you know, kind of thread thread a needle, if you will. Right? So there's there's two different paths that I, I'm I'm keen to explore. One is exactly what the mechanics are for on ramp. Like an advisor signs up, what do they see? How does it integrate with the the other tools in their toolbox? You know, their windows into all the other different custodians. How do you it, are you actually integrating the traditional assets with the crypto assets with on uh or is it is it more just we're going to focus on the crypto side and sort of and, and give you a glimpse of how these crypto assets can might look alongside your traditional portfolio so there's there's that whole sort of mechanic side and then i actually want to dive into some of the educational you know the big muscle movements there you know you mentioned there's a difference between crypto assets and cryptocurrencies. What does that mean? What's a, a capital B blockchain versus a, a small B blockchain? Like there's, so there's, which path do you think we should travel first? Do you want to talk about the education component first or do you want to talk about the mechanics yeah. of- Yeah, we can talk about the platform. First. It's, it's fairly simple. So we are an iPaaS platform, right? Which is an integration platform as a service. So we are the nervous system, right? We are the rails, the interoperability between the crypto economy and the legacy financial advisor tech stack. So our goal is to get, now we do have a dashboard, right? But we want to take all that data and spit it right back into the advisor system so they can interact with on-ramp as they would see fit, right? So our goal, right, when, as we start to scale this is, 
a financial advisor sits down at her tech stack and she starts the flow there, account opening, buying, selling, rebalancing, everything inside of her existing tech stack, but using on-ramp technology. So it's overnight files, it's open APIs. So we're integrating up and down the stack, right? That's our goal. So the first dollar in on-ramp was a bet on us to be able to integrate, right? And we did that uh, in spades before we even launched, right? Shout out to Craig Ullincott, who's our head of product. So that's really what it is. Now we have our own dashboard. Again, you could come directly to us and we are a true crypto company. But again, we have the best mind in the space when it comes to understanding traditional assets and crypto together. So we do understand that we'll have a model portfolio center. But again, it's like we want to take the data one way and get it back the other. But let us show you how crypto fits on that side. We're not going to bring it here first. We're going to send it to you and actually give you the tools, again, the T of the EAT, to show you what it looks like alongside a client's traditional portfolio. So everything on our end will be, you know, the crypto assets, everything on that end will be the traditional assets. We'll bring them together with our model portfolios with Wisdom Tree, and we're working on some other stuff, you know, with, with some large, you know, indices providers and things like that. So, but we are crypto through and through, but we want to take that data and spit it back on that side of the world so they can, you know, chop it up and do what they want to do with it. Gotcha. So, so you don't, you're not pipelining into, into Fidelity as a backend and pulling data, client data in or TD Ameritrade or whatever. Is that, is that part of the vision or? Yeah, we would, not on the, yeah, we, would, yeah. we would love that. I think we, but we realized that we were young and scrappy, so we had to go through the back door, right? We had to climb underground and go through the back door. If you can't get the custodians directly, you go right to their tech stack. 70% of trades don't happen at the custodians. It happens in the TAMPs. There's $2 trillion of flows through TAMPs and the RA space. That's it. Crack Fort Knox. Now we're in. So we're going to go down and up. So we'll go up to the custodians, and it will go, again, up and down the advisor's tech stack. Now, what we've realized is from conversations that we've had is there is an interest from the larger custodians, but they're going to move at their own pace. And we also know that they could do it if they wanted to, but we needed to be very nimble. So if we integrate across the spectrum, we'll get them eventually. Um, And that is part of the A game. Um, But again, we have to get as many integrations as possible for us because that's a moat. And then also we have to build a team that we know is indefensible. We have that. Our team is best in class. Um, and we're truly the only ones, I believe, that can solve this in the way that we are solving it. We have folks that are that know the traditional side through and through. Me and Eric know the crypto side through and through. And there's some of us who kind of sit in the middle. So Merrill or Fidelity Rock can't buy that. Like we built it right from scratch. So that is the end game for sure. Um, but again, it's going to take some time for them to get there. And they'll, they'll play ball at some point. So Fidelity has been somewhat vocal about, I guess, maybe on the institutional side for custody, maybe that that's, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Right. So they haven't really integrated that into the, um, um, the, the brokered side, I suppose. Is that, is that a fair comment or do you see them doing that? Do you see that as a threat competitively or, uh, probably in, in a space, this emergent more is better. I listen, I, I, I call I get what I call CEO sleep now. Right. And I jump out my sleep and I'm like, fidelity. Right. Like, Because <laughs> if they want to, they could just look across the street and there's like there's six trillion dollars over there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm sure Eric could add more to that. But we know it's coming. 
it's, go, it's just a matter of when they, they apply for an ETF or whatever, they could do it. But which is why we have to move with some alacrity and some speed, right? And be nimble. But yeah, we know it's coming. E, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah. And, and the main thing, you know, so Fidelity started on this in uh, 2015, 14, 15. And still, they are only able to custody Bitcoin primarily, but for hedge funds, ETFs, big asset managers, like kind of the, the traditional mutual funds managers, single omnibus accounts or broker dealer says we want to have one account custody bitcoin and we'll do the sub account so fidelity does fidelity digital assets anyways doesn't want to touch retail yet ironically they have their entire retail arm and it's it's uh it's just out of concern and abundance of caution and so we we're definitely using that to our advantage at the moment but we would absolutely love to integrate with fidelity digital assets and enable all the fidelity individual retail clients and kind of be that buffer in between so that we'll handle the, the little trade from Mrs. Jones or Mr. Jones or, uh, you know, and, and handle that and then be, be into that omnibus relationship with, say, a Fidelity Digital Custody type solution. But it's uh, it's definitely like they are the slowest of the movers in the space. And the space moves fast, like incredibly fast. Like, yeah, a, a year in crypto is four years in traditional and and it's uh, yeah, amazing. Like I'm, I'm definitely losing, losing hair for this, but it's awesome. I, I mean, it's just so much fun. No, no Tyrone's hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's hiding the hair loss. We know it. No, I said, no, no, I'm good. Good. <laughs> I, don't do, I pick good parents, baby. No, 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 no. Well, what I find is my, on net, I have the same amount of hair. It's just moving around. <laughs> so net, net, I think I'm hairier. It's just in the wrong place. Anyway, I digress. Adam, Adam, remind me, what was your second question? Well, the you, second, you the second it's direction mid, so it's, was the yeah. educational side, right? So you mentioned a couple of things. What is the difference between crypto assets and crypto uh, currencies? the capital B blockchain. So why don't we start with the difference between crypto assets and cryptocurrencies? Yeah. So I, again, I, this is, this is one of the things that is, is really frustrating because the whole thing is, you know, people bashing Bitcoin or is it a currency or is it not, or it failed on its initial purpose. Well, where are your feet? Where are your feet? Are you in Africa? You're damn right. It's a currency. Is it here? No. Right. It's the first thing. That's one level of it. Second level is it cryptocurrencies like crypto dollars. It's a better, better, uh, you know, um, name for them than stable coins are, again, cryptocurrencies. But crypto assets are the whole ecosystem. Bitcoin, Ether, uh, you know, utility tokens, security tokens. Those are all crypto assets. You can even throw NFTs in there if you want. So many different things. So crypto assets is the umbrella. It's the whole ecosystem, right? If we really want to say it's an asset class. And then there are types of cryptocurrencies, right? And again, I keep saying this about Bitcoin. Could Bitcoin be that? Yeah. Where are you in the world? Right. Um, so, you know, I think that is something that once you get through that, the other thing is when you start to say, OK, well, how do we value these things? Well, it's hard to value a currency, but I can value a network, right, a monetary network. or I can value assets and there's ways to do that. Scale up a bit. Second level thinking, if you will. So that's the crypto asset, cryptocurrency thing. As far as, you know, um, you know, Bitcoin, Big B and Bitcoin, Little B It's funny. I keep this handy 
this book handy, Crypto Assets. I always keep this handy. It's it, just in terms of folks understanding the big B, Bitcoin blockchain, right, as it's written, right, and as it's actually referred to as, is again, just the technology, the rails that Bitcoin, the little B, the price that everyone cares about, it's why it works, right? But you can't separate one from the other, right? You can't, and like a couple of years ago, it was, oh, well, yes, blockchain is interesting, but Bitcoin, I don't know. Well, you can't separate them, right? Like they go together. So you can't have one without the other, which we have a piece in OnRamp Academy about coins versus tokens. How do we explain coins versus tokens? IAR versus RIA. In order for me to be an IAR, I have to be registered with an RIA. I can't have a token without a blockchain that thus has a coin, right? So there's, it's, it's almost that chicken or the egg, but the whole thing is there's so much misunderstanding here. And the longer you stay in the space, you realize these little nuances, it makes it easy for folks to understand. And some of those arguments start to go away because you're just you're not you're putting your emotions aside and just dealing with facts. It's just some basic things that people should understand. Again, Ether, the token or the coin, rather Ethereum, the blockchain. That's very important because now you start to look at what's happening on Ethereum and everything. These layer two solutions and everything is being built on top of that. Right. So many cool things that people are calling it the GitHub of finance, money, Legos, all of these other things. It's, you know, programmable money, like all of these really, really cool things. that if you understand the nuance, it makes it a lot easier to go. Oh, okay, I get it now in some capacity. And you start to ask better questions. Yeah, we um, uh, oftentimes I talk about the the interstate system, the highway system, you know, kind of the roads. When the car was first invented, there there was, um, you know, obviously a need for roads and and the roads needed to be more paved. And and gasoline at the time or oil, you know, was the commodity that powered a lot of those vehicles. So as those roads expanded, that created a need to create applications on top of those, that highway system, motels popped up, roadside diners popped up, you know, all of these opportunities to create new applications on this new kind of infrastructure, this this highway system. And then what was used more often, it was the fuel that powered those vehicles to get to all of those applications on that network. And the more, uh, that cars were available, the more gas that was used, the more applications that were built, the more valuable that network became. And that is EAP, the, the, the fuel that powers the Ethereum blockchain, which is the network. And then all of the decentralized applications that sit on top of that network from, from Uniswap, where you can actually exchange one asset to another. It's a true exchange where you, you don't have to take custody, you don't have to take custody away like the centralized custodians are, and you can actually do trace. We set up a smart contract where we send the smart contract signals and say buy um, Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin. Anyone can send dot, like Bitcoin to that smart contract and it will automatically trade in, you know, without us, just we send the signal, it automatically buys it's essentially an exchange-traded fund that's completely programmable without any custodian, without any, and it's all powered by the Ethereum blockchain. It's it's like the most brilliant, amazing, just gives me goosebumps, you know, like it, it's, yeah. it, it all happens without an administrator or anything. It's, oh, yeah. It's so and we don't have cool. to stop trading. Hey, whoa, whoa, wait, let's stop. we got to settle up. Okay, everyone stop the trading. Because we got to send faxes back and forth. we got to send faxes back and forth. Yeah. Who's got yeah, exactly. 
I mean, I think this is one of the things that that really brought me over the the line um, when I just observed trading happening on a Christmas day and on a New Year's day and on all the days. And I'm like, well, clearly the old system of stopping trading in order to settle over T plus one, T plus three, T plus five, depending on how long you've been in this business, we're just walking dead people right now. <laughs> like that, that whole system, it's yeah, dead man walking, man. You, you, you can't observe what's going on over there and not be absolutely astounded. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind. And then here you have an application of that that just totally um, uh, takes away all of those steps that occur in, in, in TradFi. It's, it, to me, it's anyway. It, it well, you mentioned me. TradFi and Eric, you mentioned Uniswap and Tyrone, you mentioned DeFi. And so let's close the loop on this, right? Because DeFi is increasingly a, a massive use case for um, the crypto ecosystem. So maybe one of you can can sort of help us understand what is DeFi, what's happening in that space, and is OnRamp uh, involved in that or helping investors get involved in that as well? Or is that on the, the menu for later? You got to be careful. Me and Eric are going with, for DeFi for days. <laughs> um, all I will say is this. Th- this is how serious we are about it. We had a higher start this week. His name is Akeen Sawyer, and he's going to put us so far ahead as it pertains to DeFi. It's not even funny. And it was on our radar anyway. But again, baby food before the ribeye. There's so many things that we have to do. But as far as the cash management stuff, the borrowing, the lending, everything that has happened on that side, just simply cash management. Hey, large RA, if we can get you 4%, a thousand times what Fidelity is giving you. you, you won't listen. You at least won't listen. And it's safe. Right. So this is this, these are real things happening. And Akeen is the foremost brain in that space. Um, the only thing we didn't do was give him like the really cool name of chief, chief DeFi officer. <laughs> but uh, he he is C-D-E-F-I-O. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, yeah, we're, we're taking it very seriously. We see the opportunity. We will be trailblazers in the space and we are working on some really cool things now, an announcement that will be coming soon. And yeah, he, he's going to help us trailblaze there for sure. Eric, I don't know if you want to add anything there, but. Okay, but what yeah, is it? Just, it yeah, yeah, what is DeFi? Is that, is that the. Let's, like, well, yeah, let's, the let's also touch that. Yeah. yeah. So, so first of all, DeFi stands for decentralized finance. And, and what are we doing? We're, we're cutting out a good two, like really a third of the S&P 500 is financial companies. And, and how do those financial companies earn their revenue? They do it by toll taking. You know, essentially they're taking a toll for providing a service in finance. A lot of that is automated. Like I said, with our administrator on our ETF, we spent millions of dollars a year paying an administrator to keep track of a spreadsheet that we kept track of ourselves, that we had to often correct them on it. And no offense to Bank of New York, but all of them are the same. You know, at the end of the day, they're all the same. It was on a spreadsheet. You know, it, and in their database, and then we would have this back and forth, and we'd have to reconcile every night when if we just had a shared database that we could all agree to, and, and we didn't have to wait two or three days for settlement of a transaction, it, it just made it so much easier technologically. That is what DeFi is. DeFi is essentially taking out and decentralizing those financial intermediaries who are trying to take rent. There will be rent opportunities in DeFi, but they'll just uh, be 
you know, they'll be minimized so much because the demand for a human to be involved in some, you know, back office doing some reconciliation that is completely unnecessary. That's kind of the benefit of, of DeFi in general. So you can make a trade with another counterparty all via a smart contract. If I say I want to buy this asset for this price and they say they want to sell this asset for this price, a trade can go through as soon as that is matched. And, and all of a sudden we both get executions and we don't have to wait for somebody to send us a confirm because we know it's confirmed because it's all written to the blockchain. That's kind of a good example. But same thing with loans. And, and like Tyrone was just mentioning about Akeem, you know, um, he came from the, the list of companies on his resume is, is just mind-boggling, like from the IMF to, to just his entire journey in, into the ecosystem. But, but his former protocol would do complete securitization of financial assets on the blockchain. So you could create different tranches of risk to take, let's say, an asset like Apple, you could say, I want the first um, two x return of Apple. And I say, I want, um, I'll take Apple, but basically I want a 50% you know, kind of like buffer. So I don't take any loss until Apple has gone down 50% and then I'll start to take a hit. That's essentially two different contracts. One takes the 2x upside, the other takes the nothing more than 50% of the downside. All that can be done with smart contracts. You just send your Apple token to the Apple smart contract, it gets locked up. Two other tokens get created, and now you've just created this, this um, securitized instrument that's completely locked up. And, and you don't have to worry about custodian taking care of it because it's all done via smart contract. It's just. Yeah, it really is one of the last bastions to um, sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, Not disintegrate. Uh, Disintermediate. Disintermediate. That's the one. How many syllables is that on a Friday? Yeah, that's that's tough on a Friday. I'm not going to lie to you. So, So banking has been one of these areas where you know, you have central bank that has great relationship with schedule one banks, provides them with financing at the overnight rate, which then provides that to the banks and the brokerages to provide you with, to provide them with cheap money to market up to whatever fidelity or so on. So, and so is going to market up to charge you in the way I understand the DeFi space is that intermediary is dist and thus is not there to collect that toll. Yep. And you collect the toll. So as you mentioned, you can get four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11% yield. Well, where's that yield coming from? Well, that yield is because you're financing the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I believe like the central bank's not there. It's not there with the schedule one bank to provide all of that. So that financing has to come from the ecosystem itself. And thus it pays you the vast mm-hmm. majority, you the investor, the vast majority of that. Yep. You know, you think about when you short a stock and you have to borrow that stock and you have to pay that borrow, some brokerages like interactive brokers will share that with you. If you own the stock that's being borrowed, they'll give you 50%. Oh, aren't they generous giving you half? Right. Well, it's it's a right. lot better than a lot of the other places that are giving you zero, so infinitely more than what everybody else would give you. Um, but at the same time, in the DeFi space, if you're going to hold those tokens, stake them, and allow the, the the exchange to do with what they will, they are going to pay you that yield directly. Right. And there is no intermediary there. And in a world where investors are faced with such high 
sort of expectations with respect to what they're going to get on their assets in order to meet their retirement obligations. Well, isn't it nice to cut out the yeah. banks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably going to get in trouble for that. But anyway. <laughs> Trudeau. Trudeau. We have to do it. We have to do it on behalf of the client. I mean, there, as, as Eric mentioned earlier, there are there's not zero risk, but certainly it would seem that the, the risk is um, – being paid for well in um, sort of well in in uh, uh, consideration for the risk. Yeah, well, speaking and it's very, of risk, it's right? early. It's very early in the space, and and it's fascinating what is being built and and being tinkered with. But I've been saying this again for the last three or four years. The future of our business is being built on Ethereum. I've been saying it for the longest time, and to literally see it come to fruition now is nothing short of remarkable. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this, how all of this plays out. How do you guys talk about risk with advisors and, and how do you help advisors talk about risk with clients in this space? Well, perfect. I'll let Eric handle that because he owed me a, a risk reducers return enhancers piece before he left. So it has to be fresh on his mind. So I'll let him- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so for your audience, I, I used to be a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley for many, many years. And, um, and I had to kind of evolve my, my business to where I started taking care of the ultra high net worth investors, not billionaire, but certainly the wealthier five to $500 million investors. And they hated uh, kind of just the old fashioned, well, you know, the market's down 20%, but you're only down 18. I'm a hero that they, that they did not, not sit well with it. And so we did a lot of alternative investments, like probably 50 to 60% of our clients allocations went to alternatives. And, and if you're going to do that, you can't say there's stocks, bonds, and alternatives. You have to say, there's risk reducers and return enhancers. A bond hedge fund that's highly levered is not a bond, and and it shouldn't be treated as fixed income. You have to treat it as something else. So this this concept of risk reducers and return enhancers really helps kind of prepare this mental framework for all asset classes. And just because it's a it's a return enhancer doesn't necessarily mean that it's a risk enhancer, but oftentimes it does. And so you could argue right now that maybe bonds are a return reducer and a risk enhancer instead of the way that people commonly think about them, you know, in, in this last 40 years of bull markets of bonds. You could just argue that. I'm not saying that that's the case, but you could you could kind of think about it that way. But when it comes to cryptocurrencies, volatility is sometimes your friend if you know how to rebalance. If, if you can take two stocks that are not correlated – and both have kind of zero-ish returns over time. But you rebalance those two stocks on a regular basis of intervals. You end up with a much better return. We just put a piece out on us of um, Shannon's demon, basically, where, where he like kind of lays this out. And I know you guys have actually written about this as well. And it's, it's, um, it's like if you're going to use volatile assets, you've got to have a rebalance strategy. And that's where a lot of the tea and tools comes from. That, that Tyrone talks about in the Honor of Academy, it's all based on testing out the framework for rebalancing. What are we on a daily basis? What about a monthly basis? What is it, what if it's based on some AI that, that enables me to take tax losses a lot more frequently because Bitcoin is so volatile or other cryptocurrencies are so volatile? And that, I think, is how advisors need to think about it in their portfolio. So it might be a return in, enhancer. Um, but maybe not. Maybe it's going to go sideways for the next five years, maybe. 
end. And so if it does, can you at least bet on volatility? And if so, then what's your rebalance strategy? Because there's still a way to play this in a portfolio instead of just going stocks, bonds, and other, right? To consider this into that asset allocation. And, and you don't have to size it that, that large because it's got so much volatility with it. Gosh, we're down, uh, I, don't, I don't know, almost 50% just this year alone, you know, from the high to, to where we are now. And I think most people in cryptocurrency aren't even sweating anything. They just say, yeah, just another year in Bitcoin. It's, it's like, a, it's completely normal based on what everybody expects. So, Well, I so, think that's a, that's a key point too. The expectations are actually set well. Generally speaking, so, sorry, Adam. I know you, you want to continue on, but no, yeah, no, you go. Yeah, go. Like the the Bitcoin expectation. Those who are entering Bitcoin, both advisors and investors, I think have seen the spectacular returns and volatility. And so it's not it's not like you can say you didn't know at the beginning. You you know this is a frontier asset class that is nascent and emerging. And, and thus requires capital. And in requiring capital, you actually have mechanisms to harness the returns from providing that capital that are pretty interesting and don't exist anywhere else. And so, you know, I remember Tyrone, his, his used to be get off zero, zero's wrong. <laughs> zero is a big bet. So it's meaning a zero allocation to this asset class. That's a big bet and it's getting bigger, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a, actually a very strong position to say, I'll have zero exposure, please. Yeah. Not wrong. It's just a strong opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even more so to say 0%, but I don't know what I'm talking about. That's like the riskiest thing I think you could ever do is I don't know why Precisely. it's zero because I don't understand it. So it's zero. That is yeah. uh, is probably the most dangerous. I choose not to try to understand this. As it is. Yeah. That's, and that's put that, frame that. Let's get the fiduciary light that everyone talks about and shine that on that statement, right? I don't know. I haven't taken time. I'm the professional who's supposed to know more than you. Zero is the answer, right? That anyone who's saying that you should have a better constructed argument to protect your fiduciary argument in order to state something like that. (laughs) 100%. So, if we're going to have an asset allocation strategy in crypto, it kind of it kind of prompts a question: How do you think about that? Like, how do you decide which coins are are worth holding in the portfolio and rebalancing between? Do you have a? Is there are there some defaults on that, or do you have any 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 thoughts? Well, yeah, as simple as kind how of do you help advisors? Or? Right? How do you help yeah. advisors? Let, let's make it real. How do you help advisors make those really complicated and difficult decisions? Yeah, I think one is, I think that, the, again, going back to the tools section in OnRamp Academy so they can actually see it and do it, right, um, and actually spec it out to see, I think is one, you should just be able to play around with it and see. I think we agree as as a company that if you look at the, you know, there's so many ways you can play with this, that 2 to 5% right now is the sweet spot, right, when you can start to, you know, the the efficient, right, uh, portfolio and all of that stuff and, and capital asset pricing models and all of the other stuff that financial advisors are used to doing. You can, there's tools now to, to put Bitcoin in a portfolio and see how it specs out from risk tolerance to sharp ratios and standard deviation. You can do that. So that two to 5%, there's enough research there to show that. What we also did was, you know, post a piece where it shows, again, we were just talking about it, rebalancing frequently. A lot is, is you know, you got to figure out what that mix is. But 
I think if you do this, there has to be a true strategy first with knowing the client, right? And the goals of the client and what that client is looking to do. It's not as just as simple as saying, okay, we're going to do 5% and we're going to be balanced quarterly. It's not it. What is What are the client's goals? I'm personally on, if you do anything between zero and 5%, you don't have conviction. That's me. So why are you doing it? Because for everything that advisors have to do, what they're risking here, again, E&O, updating your ADV, all of the compliance you know, hurdles, and you're going to put 2% across your book of business where you drove all across the country for years to build a $500 million book of business? Why would you do that? Right? So you, if you have conviction and you want to go small, I, I definitely understand that. But I, again, and I've... I, I'm a crypto hippie through and through. I, I, I don't really, you know, deal in the stock market much anymore. But if you have conviction, you move with some conviction, you move in size. We do that with everything else. This is no different. The tools are there. But I do think that two to five percent for most advisors, that's either what we're hearing. And then a lot of research bears that out. Eric, I don't know if you have anything else to say to that. But when we're when I'm asked that question, that's that's usually where it where it is and where, you know, advisors are most comfortable for it. Yeah, would it um, would it be appropriate to share some of our tools on this podcast? Yeah, please, podcast please do. There, so like there's a, a there's a share screen button on the bottom, and Ani will will pump that through. That's brilliant. Yes. I'm and the other sure thing is, I'm, yeah, yeah Adam, ahead, the thing, Adam. The other thing to your point is, for us, it's we're only making Bitcoin and ETH available right now. We believe that those are the two that have the most incredible investment thesis. Not incredible, credible um, investment thesis right now. So we're making those two available. We're open up to more, but right now we feel like it's Bitcoin and ETH um, where we feel like it'll make some sense. Got uh, it. Okay, yeah. yep. That that closes the loop yeah. for me. Thanks, mate. And and um, so, well, first of all, can you see my screen? Yep, yep, it's up. Oh, great. Okay. The Portfolio so the- Optimizer Dashboard. Yeah. So this here is OnRamp Academy. And in OnRamp Academy, you can get access to primers, tools, that's where we are here. Fat cards on the, the major cryptos, all sorts of financial advisor resources, uh, other study materials, lots of podcasts that Tyrone has done. That we kind of pick the best of. These now, do you have to be a, a paid subscriber for all of this or do you have some of it behind the paywall and some of it free? What What's the... Yeah, there's a little bit of free, but basically anyone who signs up gets the first 30 days for free for everything. So there's... Um, gotcha. There's, almost no disincentive to sign up. We don't even take yeah, a credit card right off the bat. So there you go. Full, and if you put resolve in the, in the thing, they'll give you a discount off the zero. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we will absolutely do that for you. Yeah, 50% <laughs> off zero. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what I did here is I came into our portfolio optimizer. I put in the S and P and the ag, and then I put in BTC I said, I want a mean variance optimization. There's a number you could do equal risk contribution or inverse volatility. And we'll keep adding more different optimizations here. Um, I'll set the quarterly rebalance frequency, which actually, if you read that piece, that's where we found the highest sharp ratio was on the quarterly rebalance. And we ran it across every single day, basically, you know, to take out some of the timing that's what you might have. And then um, if I wanted to max, like to essentially cap I'll put a number in here, but I, I just wanted to just see where it would um, optimize it for. And it's a 16% allocation to Bitcoin. So so if, and again, we've had a great, you know, kind of seven or eight years in crypto that, that it would it would want to add more, 
But what's even more interesting is it barely reduced the S&P from the old 60-40, and it meaningfully reduced the, uh, the bonds, which kind of makes sense. And then you can come down here, and you can see essentially where your blended portfolio would be versus a 60-40, or an S&P versus your, your 60-40, and then it's just good old-fashioned HEG. You can look at all the performance. And so that's this piece. If you come in here, though, and we build our own custom strategy. And, and right now, these are all calculating. So you can type in any equity, any ETF, um, and if it's not in there, we'll add it later. But So here what it is is the default portfolio is S&P, Barclays Ag, ETH, and Bitcoin. And, and this would kind of be like a modern asset allocation, I would say. And then let's rebalance um, every time one of those asset classes goes up more than 2%. So, so you know, essentially, like let's let's force it to rebalance on a more regular basis. If you didn't force the rebalance, here's what you'd end up with, which is a pretty meaningful outperformance, obviously. Over those two. And then, of course, you get all the monthly statistics. So, is that the unre unrebalanced? So, you you literally buy this, the, this one thing? here was rebalancing quarterly into this allocation, but not forcing it to rebalance based on, say, a large move. Oh, I see. Okay. It, it will rebalance quarterly, but you you can also specify that it'll rebalance if you deviate by more than two percentage points from your target. That's, that's okay. exactly. Calendar versus. And, you, and then when you're all done, you can hit compare all, and it'll just run them all against one another and show you all the rebalance periods and frequencies based on these. So if I run this, and now what it's doing is that, and any of our users who have um, Hate these these little lights. These are going away. We're actually speeding it up quite a bit. We're adding quite a bit more resources to the tool section. But what we're going to find here is, you know, pretty meaningful bump in, in returns. But what I love is is this. It's, it's actually reduced the risk quite a bit from a pure S and P five hundred only portfolio. So we just added two of the craziest, most ridiculous asset classes that any traditional asset allocator might might say. And we reduce the risk and meaningfully improve the returns. And these are these are volatile asset classes. I mean, both Bitcoin and Ethereum have each had eighty to ninety percent drawdowns. But it's because of those huge drawdowns that we end up with those superior returns, because you're rebalancing on a more frequent basis. And then vice versa, you know, when you see these big moves up, you're constantly kind of selling high and then buying low right off of these big drawdowns. And and this also spits right in the face of the idea that Bitcoin and Ethereum are um, correlated to the S&P 500, which is true, you know, if, if we look at, say, a correlation matrix, that is somewhat true that S&P 500 does have some correlation to, to Bitcoin and Ethereum, but it's pretty low, you know, for like in the 2.23, 0.29 over time. And you can change a lot of these tools to, to be just, say, crypto to look at the cryptos related to one another. And they're meaningfully uncorrelated. Oh, uh, this one actually is, is going back to the, uh, the other. And then we I'd have to use the uh, expression yep. that, uh, just paraphrasing Arthur C. Clarke, sufficiently advanced diversification is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, that's right. And then this really one is here amazing. is just, just your true uh, true kind of 60-40 and you're taking zero, between zero and 10% away from, from the asset class or from bonds, basically, or from equities, rather. 
So here's a 5% allocation, pretty significant bump in return, modest bump in risk, and across the board, meaningfully better returns overall. And it, again, it all just comes down to rebalancing. Like even if Bitcoin yeah. had gone sideways over that period, you would have ended up with. I'm, I'm, if, if listeners want to compliment that, we, we've written a, a paper on the rebalancing premium talking about that exact concept, proving it out from first principles as well. So just very complimentary literature. We would support everything that you're saying. They don't have to be totally uncorrelated. Even assets that are moderately correlated, you will get benefit. Benefits less, but, you know, it is a, um, it is the magic in diversification. It is. It's, it's the one free lunch in investing, right? It's, um, it's, well, it's here's the thing. It's not free. There's huge emotional and behavioral costs that come with rebalancing. When you're when you started this in January, February, March, and you're now looking at your crypto to rebalance to, you're like, oh, maybe it's going to go back to twenty, right? This is that's the cost. There is a behavioral cost, and this is what makes automating it so much more effective than than trying to function in with your wetware pulling the trigger when it's down a lot. And also when it's up a lot, oh my gosh, I don't want to rebalance out of this beautiful, best performing asset class. I'm not going to do it in March or I'm not going to do it in January. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the cost yeah. is a behavioral one. Anyway, I digress. It's so true. And, and actually that's what I, I kind of tell people. I say uh, rule of th- three, all my friends say, Hey, should I buy Bitcoin now? And, and I say, just promise me you'll remember the rule of three, no more than 3% of your network, no more than 3% of your discretionary income. And you have to promise that you'll rebalance every three months. And, and as long as you can do those three things for me, then I'll, I'll say, okay, here's how you get started. And, and I, like, I force them to promise me that, that um, they will not hold on and let it just grow or vice versa, that they'll just avoid it as soon as it goes down, but that they uh, kind of commit to just this little modicum of access. Man, so take- can you export? Nice. <laughs> How do you rebalance hundred percent, Tyron? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I swear to God, that's what I was about to say. What am I doing? I just find it. Oh, rebalance. Oh, okay. <laughs> rebalance. Do I have new cash? Buy more. Re- exactly. Rebalance done. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, too funny. Oh, uh, sorry. We digress, Adam. What were you saying? No, the no. Exporting. Yeah, I just wondering, can you export that so you can bring it in your own tools and stuff? Yeah, so that, that's actually where it all, and, and this is the, the Tyrone um, kind of magic is, is uh, Eric, it's got to work within the advisor's tech stack. Let's not give them another portal that they got to log into, remember a password and a username, and come into. So how do we get all of this stuff back into Advizon or Wealthbox or Salesforce or whatever the advisor uses for either their portfolio management or their risk tools for Riskalyze? Like, how do we bring it all back in? And, and actually, that's what the team is doing right now is, is like really focusing on APIs that all of those financial technology firms can use to access all of our tools and all of that information and data. Whether the client has a MetaMask wallet that's trading on Uniswap or a Coinbase account, or they actually open the account with us via Gemini or Prime Trust or one of the other custodians, all has to go back to the advisor's workflow and Someday, the advisor will never know a password or username to the on-ramp dashboard, and they'll never even see it. But uh, but until that time, 
right now, you kind of have to come to the user experience. Yeah, and you can, you know, we, we want you to be able to put your firm, right, download it, stick your firm on there and send it and send it to clients. So, yeah, you can you can do that when we make that available. So yeah, brilliant I, by you, Tyrone. They love it. I try. I t- it's hard to <laughs> where Eric's brilliance. I try. I try. As long as we, we are in separate rooms, I'm really smart. <laughs> <laughs> we know who the looks are and who the right <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, so I fully you support have a that. You have a totally different taste in men than I do. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but it's, I, I you know, the, the process of, of asset allocation typically requires setting some sort of capital market expectations, right? So how do you guys think about setting expectations for future risk and returns um, for crypto assets in the way, you know, because is can you apply similar types of thinking as you would for other types of assets or, you know, how, how do you guys think about it? Eric, I don't know if you want to take Would, would it be wrong to say Bitcoin's going to a million? No, I'm sorry. Right. sorry. But, um, I, I think of it like, um, and I know the digital gold concept is, is like too pedantic, but it's, it's meaningful because Bitcoin has made a choice as, a, as an asset class, as a network, as a, a lot of the core developers. And I'm, I, I know so many of them. That, that has said, our number one goal is it has to be accessible. So Tyrone's family, who, was, who grew up on banks, needs to be able to access the Bitcoin blockchain. If it's anything as simple as a laptop or a cell phone, they need to be able to use it and, and be able to access it. In order to do that, it can't be the fastest network. It can't you know, do a million transactions a second. That's, that, that has to happen elsewhere. Just like Gold wasn't the reserve asset class in order for people to get access. Gold became the layer one solution that investment or merchant banks and others would issue notes. And so you'd have a paper note that would say, There's, I have this much gold in my bank in France and I'm using it for credit in order to access you know, capital markets wherever you might be, unfortunately or otherwise. And that really is the choice that Bitcoin has made. But in order to do that, Bitcoin is a heck of a lot more efficient. So if I'm someone trying to flee China and I've got billion dollars gold, that's going to be really hard for me to get out of the country with my billion dollars. But if I can remember 12 words in my head, I can take a billion dollars of Bitcoin right across country lines and I and it's all with me. Bitcoin is way more useful than gold as a store of value. It's more volatile, sure. But if I'm interested in carrying my wealth with me, it's a heck of a lot more useful. And because of that, it should be compensated for that. So it should have more value according to that. So what if we have a ten trillion dollar gold market and a one and a half or one and a quarter trillion dollar Bitcoin market? Because of that, you could argue that there's eight to ten X upside from here to there. And if you just think about the network effects, it's not just asset value, it's also utility. The more people that come to the Bitcoin network the more value that the Bitcoin network, you know, it's just like a fax machine. It was only so valuable when there was just one, but then the more and more fax machines came onto the network, the more valuable they became. And that's kind of the, the thinking here. And then the same thing with Ethereum is, well, how valuable is a supercomputer that connects the entire world of, of money together, of value, like the internet of money? 
if I could sell this podcast and I could just sell 10, you know, plays of this podcast and then it self-destructs, like imagine how valuable that might be to a musician who's creating art for their, you know, that there's some neat things that can happen. And so you're really talking about the internet of value, just like voice over IP was valuable and, and TCP, which is transmission, you know, over the internet was valuable. This is really money over the internet. And, and how valuable is that? It just gets kind of infinitely more valuable the more people that use it. And that's kind of, the, I don't know. It, you know again, I just, yeah. I can't put a number on it, but I know it's a lot more than where it is today. And, and right. it's going to take a long time to get there. Yeah. But pretty exciting. Yeah, I will add to that. Again, I think it's still so early. There's still so much infrastructure that has to be built for more flows to come in. I think as you start to see it mature, that volatility will come down. You start to get into, you know, network transaction value and, and daily active addresses and looking at different valuation methodologies of this. And you can start to really build out some type of, of model. But I think, again, we, everyone in this business loves Paul Tudor Jones. He kept it very simple. Bitcoin is the fastest horse. That's it. I just <laughs> My job is to bet on the horses. Bitcoin's the fastest horse. That's all I got for you, right? You, you know, St- Steve Wozniak today. It's um, it's awesome mathematic technology. Like it's an awesome clock. We actually run on ramp like the Bitcoin blockchain. We run our company like the Bitcoin blockchain. Every ten minutes in a meeting, while we achieving consensus. Okay, good. The meeting continues, right? We decentralized autonomous organizations. We call it decisions at on ramp, right? Like full autonomy open source, everyone brings ideas. Like, so when you look at all of this, you can't say, okay, well, we're going to use the, you know, capital asset pricing model. And we're trying to, let's see if we, there's some cash flows for us to discount. That doesn't work here, right? It's, it's new wine, no old skin. So we just got to, you know, create these new models and constructs for asset managers to come in and try and value what's happening here, but it's still incredibly early. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't have any other questions and we've kept you for an hour and a quarter. And as new entrepreneurs, I'm sure you guys have a lot to do. And Eric, you're, you're on vacation with your family, I think. So I don't know, Mike, you often have a, a few yeah, I, 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 remaining on questions. Closing, but. On a closing note though, what, let, let's, what are the, what are the one or two key tips uh, thinking of making the advisor, the hero? What are the one or two key tips that we can provide that audience today regarding this space? You know, on ramps role in it is fine, but what are the what's that? What's that one or two shining things that's going to make those um, advisors stars? Eric, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I'll say um, for all of the younger advisors, I, I put my entire visit when I said it when I was at Morgan Stanley. Um, I finally had to make a choice and I had to say, how am I going to get these clients? I can't keep calling 300 cold calls a day because I was young and I was dumb and I didn't know. And I finally just said, you know what? I'm going to go after wealthier people and I'm going to target them for something different than what everybody else is talking about. And I'm just going to say, who handles your alternative investments? Oh, you don't know what an alternative investment is? You, you know, who handles your hedge fund portfolio? Oh, you don't have hedge funds. And, and I wasn't, you know, I could have been right or wrong. Hedge funds might have been good or bad. But I would just, I would just pique their curiosity of, um, oh, you don't have. If I was an advisor today, I would be pounding the phones right now, saying, 
your advisor doesn't talk to you about cryptocurrencies or digital assets? You don't have? You mean you have to do it on your own? There's 40 million clients that have accounts at Coinbase right now. 40 million. That's insane. If I was a financial advisor, I would do nothing but call people and say, do you have a Coinbase account? Because guess what? I... You know, I mean, like that would be that would absolutely be my life if if I was an advisor trying to get new assets. And it's not just about getting new assets, but but really to enable those clients with a better advice. And I would become an expert in this asset class because it's not going away. And even if it does, people are going to need help and they're going to trust the person that helped them as it started to melt down or otherwise. And that that would be like the single biggest advice that I could offer any financial advisor, whether they be senior financial advisor or a younger financial advisor. It's just talk to people about digital assets and crypto assets and cryptocurrencies and where they own them, if they own them, why they don't they own them. And I think you'll get the rest of the clients of portfolio in, in like moments after that because you'll just gain their trust. Yeah, I'll add to that two things. One, on-ramp academy, right? Educate before you allocate. That's our tagline there. Get educated, get conversant, listen, learn, and lead. That's all you need to do. Clients just want to be able to bring it to you and have you listen and lead them to some answers. The second thing is whether you buy Bitcoin, stocks, you do futures, derivative, hedge funds, private equity, whatever, it is a travesty that there are hungry children in the world. So I know if you do the second thing and you help feed a hungry child, it all works out in the end, no matter how you risk reduce, no matter how you return enhance. So if you made it this far in the program, do what you can, sell a little Bitcoin and help feed a hungry child. Beautiful. I can never add to that. That's, yeah. yeah. That's well, that, that's the peak of the day. No one's got anything on that. I don't have any notes. I have no, no notes on that. I don't even know what to say. All right, Tyrone, Eric, that was amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for coming back again, Tyrone. Of um, course. Thank you all who are listening. Please remember to uh, hit the like button, share it, and sharing is caring. So, you know, Absolutely. help us bring more great guests here and help you do what you do. Absolutely. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is thank you for Thanks, Thanks so much, so guys. Much. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode by visiting investresolve.com forward slash podcasts. We also encourage you to engage with us on Twitter by searching the handle at investresolve. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email or social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that this podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.